Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hi, fried friends. I'm so excited to share this episode with you because Mel and I spent a bunch of time talking about internal versus external burnout, and that's something that I post about a lot on Instagram and something that I'm trying to get across in a major way because we need to stop the guilt that's associated with burnout overall, and I think that this is one of the ways we do it. This is not to assign blame but to realize that there's only so much internal work you can do and sometimes the environment is just wrong for you. And this was true at certain points in my life and this was true for Melissa's life as well. So we spent a bunch of time talking about that today so I really want you to listen hard for that. And also Melissa's biggest message today was you have one body and if you don't take care of it, no one else is going to. And she got that lesson from her aunt, and she repeats it a few times in this episode, and I think that it's important that it's repeated so that it really comes across to you, and that you leave this episode feeling like you want to put yourself first. That is, after all, the whole point of everything that we do here at Fried. So enjoy your listening, and I'll see you on the other end. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Today, my guest is Melissa Boo, who is talking to me from just the other side of the Hudson in New York City. Melissa is both a science teacher and a yoga teacher whose work connects your personal and planetary health. She has worked for a range of environmental causes both across the country and around the world, including solar power, wind power, permaculture, rainwater harvesting, and organic farming. She earned a master's in sustainability management from Columbia University and is a 500-hour registered yoga teacher and health counselor. Melissa, welcome from the other side of the Hudson. How are you doing today? Oh, things are pretty good over here. How about with you? Not bad. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for hosting this. I think it's it's so important that we start breaking this taboo of not talking about our burnout and start having these real conversations. So I am right on board with that. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been starting every episode by asking the guests to share their burnout story, and I would love to hear yours, so I'm going to give you the stage and and let you go. Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, um, I guess it's always really been very important for me to work for causes that I believe in. I studied environmental science in undergrad, and I always thought that once I graduated, you know, I wasn't going to sell out and work for big corporation and help them greenwash their values. Um, I really, it was important for me to stick to my guns, which meant that I often found myself in very mission-driven and often relatively new um, organizations, whether they were startups or nonprofits or some kind of merger of the two. Since mission was so important to me, I wound up with organizations who 
we're really prioritizing bringing something new or exciting impression to the world, which often meant the long hours, um, the unquestioning dedication, and the, I guess, kind of give it your all attitude, which at the time was super energizing coming right out, out of school. Um, I didn't have much experience otherwise, so just kind of assumed this was the norm. And it, it took me <laughs> three different rounds and three different organizations to just kind of reach my limit, which actually happened through, I think this is similar to the story that you shared too. Uh, it happened to me through an injury. I had, within the course of two weeks, I got a new job, moved into a new apartment, and then I fell and broke my dominant hand. So I wasn't feeling, <laughs> yeah, I'm really like super powerful and excited for a new start to super powerless and like nothing was in my control because I couldn't even pick up a phone or get dressed <laughs> or make something to eat in the kitchen. Um, and I think that that ex- extreme really made me ultra aware that I had to take care of myself and put myself first because nobody else was going to. And I mean, it, that started my awareness, but even then it still took me a couple months to start to figure out that this feeling of overwhelm that I was having from still wanting to be dedicated, still wanting to show up, give things my all, work at any cost, even work through being in a cast after a surgery, typing for my computer all day. Um, it, t- it still took a couple months of that for me to realize that this was too much, that this was costing me my health and my like my one and only body, my one and only life. I suppose that was my breaking point where I knew that there had to be a better way. And it kind of got me reframed and thinking that I needed to get back to that teaching yoga place that I was at before all this startup craziness and working with the stuff that really matters at the end of the day, which is our, our relationship with ourselves and our lives and each other. And so when you say that you were in this place of overwhelm and it was costing you your health, you know, you broke mm-hmm. your hand, were you having other symptoms during that time? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, um, you know, just starting a new job, you always want to make a good first impression, right? And like bring your best and demonstrate that like you are worth the hire. And I mean, I guess I shouldn't assume that that's what everybody wants to do. But for me, that was kind of my conditioning is I had to prove that I was worth it to this new startup that only had a staff of, you know, a dozen or so people. I felt like I needed to prove myself. So two weeks in, I had to prove myself with, you know, just one hand. <laughs> I, I guess I added that pressure to myself, but I also definitely felt it through the workplace too, where it was kind of this like disappointment of, ugh, we just brought you on and now you're going to be um, something we have to take care of or a problem we have to deal with or work around through phone calls and video conferences. I felt this pressure being a new hire that I still really had to prove myself no matter what was going on in my personal life. And I, that's kind of the pervasive attitude that I've often felt in workplaces um, and even in school where it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It's almost like you're not allowed to be a person <laughs> outside of this zone. You have to show up and deliver no matter what. And if that meant, you know, from my bed after being at the hospital for a follow-up appointment on a video call with somebody, that's what it meant. Right. And so what were the things that happened in your body or in your mental health that were affected during that time? Oh, my, my sleep. I never experienced such 
odd and off sleeping patterns as I did then. Mm -hmm. I was waking up at five o'clock with racing thoughts, unable to go back to sleep, even falling asleep. I was making so many mental to-do lists all the time and just really ruminating about things. And I did my best, you know, with my background in, in yoga, however this wound up, uh, this background in yoga right next to all this like type A, do, go, drive, startup world. I always had in the back of my mind that like you're putting yourself through the stress response, you're putting yourself through unnecessary nervous system damage kind of. Yeah. I knew I knew the damage it was doing, but it was still, you know, you spend eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours a day in a workplace. It's almost like you can't avoid that. You can't avoid being in that situation that's going to put you under that fight or flight response. Yeah. It, there's a there's a community around you that supports burnout. And you were having a very typical symptom that um, we call, you know, the burnout world calls tired, but wired. Mm. This is one of the number one symptoms that's not discussed necessarily in the research, but that is found most often when I'm working one-on-one with patients or clients, depending on if they're a coaching client or an acupuncture patient. This is one of the like key indicators that I think happens before we realize that anything is actually happening. It's the, you know, waking up first thing, thoughts already racing, being tired throughout the day, and then finally being like, oh my God, great, I can go to bed. And then laying down and being like, do, 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 do list, do, 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 do. <laughs> it never stops, right? <laughs> it just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. And I think you said something important that you also wrote to me in your notes before our talk that I really honed in on because it's something that is a big part of the book um, that I'm writing is that there is a systemic issue within at least the American culture, but I think not only, that makes us susceptible to burnout because we're following these rules that are ingrained in us that to be that are like supposed to be quote unquote positive. Like and the best example of this I just saw somebody posted yesterday a post on Instagram about celebrating it's like a celebration of women's strength Instagram feed. And she posted about Carrie Strug. Do you know who that is? No. She's probably uh, before before your time. Carrie Strug was an Olympic gymnast when I was a kid. And I was a gymnast as a child too. So I also remember that because I always watched Olympic gymnastics and always paid attention to it. But she won the Olympic gold medal on the vault with an injured ankle and she was celebrated for it. I remember that story. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it is ingrained in our culture that if you are in some way broken or injured and you push through anyway, you get to be the hero. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I wonder where where that could have originated, where like denying our humanity became this thing to be glorified. To me, I feel like it, a, like a demonstration of true courage is being okay with being vulnerable and being your full person. That's courageous to me, not yeah. hiding I'm injured, not hiding I'm struggling, not hiding I'm stressed, is saying, yeah, I'm stressed right now. I need to find the resources to do something about it. And that's okay. Yeah, this was a big shift for me when I moved to Europe because I used to make fun of people when I first got there because when they had a cold, they're out for three to five days. Can you imagine an American not going to work because they have a cold? Never. I do the same thing. I would go, what are you doing? 
and they got doctor's notes for it. And I was like, what the hell? And they're like, well, first of all, we need to rest. That's what our bodies are saying. And second of all, we don't want to spread it. So why would we go to work? And I was like, well, because you don't have days off. And they're like, but we have 25 days off every year. What are you talking about? And I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> How luxurious to be able to take care of your body. What right, a just a simple thing. Like when you have a cold, you're supposed to be sleeping for three to five days. Yeah. That's just what you're supposed to do. Sometimes you can't. For whatever reason, there are times that you can't. But when you can, you should be able to take advantage of that. And a lot of why we can't take advantage of that is because the lessons around us tell us not to. When you wrote to me, you said, it made me realize that while I could definitely take on the thought patterns and weak boundaries that were in my control, there is also a lot that is systemically wrong in the modern workplace that sets us up for burning out quickly. The long hours, the incessant demands, the constant availability on our smartphones at home, all these factors can make it nearly impossible to fully disconnect from work and attend to the rest of our lives. Like hashtag amen. <laughs> well, and you know, I, it feels really good to be in a place where we can talk about it too, because there's the shame that comes with burnout where it feels like a personal failure, but burnout's not a personal failure. It's a system of a symptom of a systemic problem. And I think a lot of it too, is our security is tied up in our place of employment, right? That's where we get our paycheck every other week. That's yeah. where we get our health insurance benefits. Without health insurance, we've got to figure out ways to take care of our one and only body on our own somehow. That's how we get our vacation days. It can have the luxury of the mental space to take true time off. Maybe if we're lucky, a lot. Yeah, of that we don't even take. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> people work through their vacations all the time. I used to do it all the time, being on the beach, answering emails. What was I doing? Um, it felt necessary at the time, though, right? Because. Yeah. That was my sense of security, was, was this job, this financial security. Well, and if that's what your boss is doing and that's what, you know, so-and-so is doing. There was somebody on LinkedIn recently posted, you know, I, I wrote to my employees recently and I said, why are you answering emails at seven o'clock on a Friday night? And they wrote back to me because you're the one writing them. Hmm. And he thought, ooh, <laughs> now I have to take control of that just because I, he wasn't expecting it from them necessarily. He just wanted to get something out and get it done. But their response to him being active at that hour was to also prove that they were active at that hour, right? Nobody leaves until the boss leaves. Mm. Yeah. And so the leadership is responsible a lot of times for creating an environment that's livable. Yeah. And, and something, I think when it's um, working in a cause or mission-driven organization, is so many people, so many people's identity is tied up in that cause or that mission. Like when you're a really heart-centered person and you're you know, lucky to find a position with an organization that's working for this cause you care about, it's almost like not working is not being dedicated to your cause. I don't, I don't know if that resonates. Um, do, you, do you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly mm -hmm. what you mean. And it's especially true. And this, instead of being, I think, um, a workplace stress that adds to burnout. This is a passion place mm. thing that like, because we read on Instagram that if you find your passion and if you follow your heart, you know, you'll feel good all the time and you'll never be tired. So you get this image that if I 
focus my energy on something I'm passionate about, I'm not supposed to be tired. Oh, totally. Well, what's that? There's a correction floating around at one point too that was like, you know, find what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. But really it's find what you love and you'll never stop working a day in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a cross out and somebody replaced it because that's the truth. Uh-huh. Because that's the truth. And what you said, you know, that you've, you said, I found that firmer boundaries, prioritizing my health and strengthening my relationship with myself are three things that have really made a big difference. So you took care of the thing that I loved about what you wrote to me was you took care of the internal sides of burnout because external burnout is part of it. There there are external factors that affect burnout and there are internal factors that affect burnout, but you are only responsible for the internal factors. You can't be responsible for the external factors unless you are the boss and you're creating those external factors. In which case, if you're listening to this podcast, fucking stop it. <laughs> That's a shout out. That's right to them. <laughs> Can we just hashtag that? Yep. Because I can't I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Well, we can I, only do so much. People feel like they're failing. Mm-hmm. Right. And what kind of culture does that create in your organization? And maybe, you know, the founders are coming from this place where this really is like this organization is their baby and this is their dream come to life and they feel this need to protect it and take care of it all the time and always be there for it. Well, it might be your brainchild, but for somebody else, it's, it's their job. And just because they want to have a weekend to themselves doesn't mean they're not dedicated to your cause or not dedicated to your organization. It just means that they need a little mental space to be a person. You know, we're all these multi, each of us are a multi-dimensional being. We have the role of the employee of our profession. We have the role of our relationships with our family, whether that means we're a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister. We have the roles of our friendships, um, and whether that's being a close friend or an acquaintance or a supportive friend. Like we all have these things that make us us. And yet, when we're spending eight, nine, 10, 11 hours at work or doing work related tasks, it's just not. A proportionate amount of time and energy invested in all of the things that make us us. Yeah, absolutely. So you found yourself, you went, you know, three different rounds, three different organizations. You are, you know, a couple weeks in, you break your hand, you find yourself in overwhelm, your sleep is getting messed up, you're making all these mental to do lists, you're tired but wired. What happens next? You know, silly me. I thought, <laughs> I thought that with each round, you know, like I was learning, I was figuring out how to navigate in the workplace. Cause I, I think that that external internal factors of burnout was it. I think that makes all the difference truly. And, you know, five years and I still hadn't figured out the difference. <laughs> I had been blaming myself for my burnout mm-hmm. through each of those roles. And so each time I left one place, I thought, okay, well, I learned all my lessons. I won't bring it to this new organization. I figured it all out. And then I was still getting burnout. And so I said, okay, wait, there's more lessons, I guess, for me to learn. The problem is me here. I can't adapt to the workplace. Everybody else is doing fine. I'm the only one struggling. I mean, with time, once I guess I got to organization number three, I went, oh, okay, maybe the problem is a little bit bigger than me. (laughs) Maybe I can't just blame myself for this. 
and then of course that's yes when i found myself in a surgery with with hand and all that business um and that's yeah when i when i really had to reassess cuz my health took a sharp downhill turn between just this combination of life factors and work pressure uh my sleep was off that affected you know my stress hormones which affected all the other hormones in my body my appetite was off my um my cycle was off which affects your mood and your sharpness and all these other important things everything was just off <laughs> because i was in this damaging environment and i i guess something that was important for me to realize too is that it doesn't necessarily come from a malicious intent no um businesses are organizations that are created to make money mm-hmm. no matter what their mission statement is that's literally all that they care about again not out of maliciousness not out of some like evil corporate greed but that's just that's what they're designed to do by definition yeah and the businesses that we created are designed to be profitable too i mean right yes um and there's a different there's a, a a different balance though mm-hmm. in like a uh i guess a more human scale or a more mindful business than maybe a larger organization or a different organization do you think there has to be i i wish there wasn't <laughs> um i think that's a tough question i have a hard time answering that because i don't know if that's just my idealism that says no it always needs to be human centered and we always need to keep, put people first But you know what when you bring in that international perspective that's true. Oh my gosh, there's thousands, millions of businesses who are not solely driven by the bottom line. So yeah, sure. It does not have to be the only Or even if they are driven by the bottom line, understanding that. I mean, what was it after the World Health Organization uh, said that were that burnout was officially an occupational hazard that was, mm-hmm. you know, June 2019. After they said that, there was something produced that say, saying that depression and anxiety which oftentimes are signs of burnout are costing simply in the united states alone costing companies up to a trillion dollars a year in missed productiveness yeah so I not taking care of burnout and not creating environments that are healthy for your workers and not encouraging people to have boundaries and not encouraging people to go through personal growth and not encouraging people to etc cetera, etc cetera, is costing these businesses money yeah i i think that's a good argument for meeting them where they're at right yeah, yeah. um i guess in my idealized mind <laughs> i would hope that there was a i guess just a bigger awareness of like we shouldn't be doing this because it's not right to do to the people who dedicate their time to us not we shouldn't be doing it because it's costing us money like well, that Melissa rationale. one step at a time right right i know <laughs> <laughs> i share I your idealistic view and also <laughs> yeah yeah um well and heck we can we'll take what we get what we can get you know i i also think that for me when i was coming out of undergrad right i had just been studying this subject for all this time and it was something i was really passionate about and we use that word passion to determine like how good of a job you're doing at fulfilling your personal mission on this earth mm-hmm. uh, no pressure 
but yeah. find your passion or yeah. you're wasting your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I finally found this passion and I was just so eager to get a job, like any job. And also this was uh, 2007, 2008. Right. So, so dangerous time. time. Uh-huh. Um, I was just so, so desperate, <laughs> a combination of desperate and eager that I took whatever was there. And then right out of the gate, my vision of what a healthy work-life balance looked like was skewed. And so I, I think too that there could be some generational stuff here where other people whose first jobs were looking, um, you know, looking to join the workforce at a time where they could really be taken advantage of by an employer. Right. I feel like that time is really echoed throughout a lot of companies and, and we still kind of see the effects of that today is, you know, when you think about buying and selling a house, oh, it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. Well, that was an employer's market. <laughs> right. And they were able to get away with a lot more of uh, demanding our time and energy and dedication to them rather than to ourselves as full human beings. Because there was a general fear mm -hmm. in people. Yes. So you got to this point where you were done. How did you make the decision? What did you change? You know, how did, how did you sort of move through that part? Oh, that, I, I think what got to me was, I was talking with my aunt and she just said to me, you know, Melissa, you could always get another job. You could always get another apartment. You can always get, if you needed to, a new circle of friends, a new association, but you only get one body. Mm. It has to come first. And that, yeah, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I went, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I have to change my environment because I have worked on changing myself so much. Mm -hmm. And this stress is still there. And this anxiety and this fear is still dominating my life. So since I've, I've internalized all this and worked on myself so much, now it's time to change my environment. And then I, I made this leap into freelancing and, um, you know, working. I worked as an environmental educator before, so I felt fortunate I could go back to that and go back to teaching yoga. Um, I have to say, as a freelancer, though, that fear is still there. Yeah. Of, of What's my paycheck going to look like? What are my health benefits going to be? How's that going to pan? now yeah but just the fact that it's in my control now and i'm not dependent on another organization has freed up i guess the mental space uh, you know the, the mental bandwidth for me to start putting myself first again you know because when we're dependent on somebody else when we're dependent on an employer to give us a paycheck it's just, not only is it fear but it's also a lack of control and those are part of the conditions for trauma too and when a workplace becomes an everyday trauma you, your body can't go on like that. Your mind can't go on like that. You can't live a healthy life if the place that you're going for 10 hours a day is traumatizing you. Yeah, I don't care how much internal work you do. Totally. Yep. This was a thing that really struck me, and I've told this story before on the podcast, but for people that you know are just tuning in now, haven't heard the podcast before, I've lived in multiple places. And when I finished my degree in California, I moved straight to Poland. My husband is Polish and we decided to stay there for a few years so I could learn the language and meet his friends and spend time with his family and things like this. And that's when I started life coaching. I worked with a life coach. I apprenticed with her. We did all this stuff. And I went through four years 
I learned to speak Polish fluently. I was very successful at my job. I was on Polish TV. It was all very, you know, impressive on the outside. On paper, I was really, really killing it, but I was miserable. And I was really down on myself. The same, like you were saying, I was doing all this internal work. I was doing the coaching. I did, I got hypnotized. I had energetic readings. I did acupuncture on myself. I ate the right diet. I was, you know, I, I did all the self inquiry. I did better boundaries. I did all of these things. But yet, the energy of that country, even, it wasn't about a company, but the energy of the country was not good for me. Not because it's bad, just because we didn't mesh. It was a bad relationship. And I found myself in this place questioning for a minute whether life coaching was valid because you can do all of this work and still need to be replanted. And still the soil might not feed you. I love that analogy. <laughs> so yeah. I was stuck there, you know, and it was it was really hard for me to accept that not all of it was under my control. And I wonder why that is that we're so quick to blame ourselves before we look to the circumstances around us. Because I know that there's there's some people where boundaries come very naturally to them and they're like, oh, I'm being treated poorly. I'm gone. Goodbye. And I, for myself, I have the tendency to kind of be like, oh, there's good intentions. Let me stay a little bit longer and see how this plays out. And other relationships in my life too, besides just, you know, a work relationship. So there, there, I think there could be some crossover there too with just kind of the way that we approach things. And either we start setting firmer boundaries in our work life and that can begin to translate into our personal life or we start doing that in our personal life and we go, oh my gosh, wait, my work relationship is really toxic. I got to figure this situation out too. Yeah, I think for for Americans, one of the big issues when it comes to sort of blaming yourself first is that our culture is built on a huge amount of personal responsibility. Totally. Right, yeah. and it's different in Europe. It just is. I've lived both in Poland and in the Czech Republic, and there I found that people often acted as victims because they always blamed the outside and didn't take personal responsibility, which made me crazy. When, of course, as per usual, the, you know, uh, in, in Polish, it's called the Złoty Środek, like the golden middle. There's a middle in there somewhere, that perfect space that, that involves both personal responsibility and the, the society at large and or the family situation and or the work culture and or, right? That, it's, that both of those things are necessary. What a beautiful way to put that too. Can you say that again? It was the, the golden middle? The golden middle, yeah. It's it's called in Polish it's called the Złotyszodek, like the and it literally means the golden middle. There's something in between those two things. There's a word for it in English. I just can't think of it right now. It's one of those ones that we also we see that what is it, pedicure or whatever, like the rainfall smell. How would we ever know or remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows, right? So you you moved out of this space, you started doing this work on your own, you started freelancing, and you're moving, you know, more and more into the world of life coaching. And now you're working with burnout yourself. So how did, how did you get from getting back into yoga teaching, you know, teaching yoga and getting back into teaching environmental sciences, and then getting into teaching people about burnout and helping people with burnout? You know, 
I, I'm, I'm probably primed a little bit because we are talking about this like systemic and, and personal blame, but I've always found that the burnout stuff and the environmental stuff really go hand in hand mm-hmm. and are both symptoms of this problem of fear in our culture, this fear of not having enough, this fear of being left without resources is it this motivating thing that either makes us work so hard because we're afraid, afraid that we're not going to have enough that we burn ourselves out or in the environmental world, we're afraid that we're not going to have enough resources. So we hoard them and stockpile them and we take more than we need. Um, and just kind of seeing that parallel between these two problems that we're facing globally. I just felt like I had, I could address both of these things by helping to remind people that they are resourceful. The problem's not just them and some inability to adapt or some personal failure that you got to do as much as you can for yourself, but you also have to start to acknowledge that these things are bigger than us as individuals. Mm. Yes. It's totally important to recycle your water bottles and do those little things that you can at home. Those small things add up and make a big difference. But we've also got to look at the fact that we're all dependent on fossil fuels And similarly, yes, we can do all the breath work that we can to calm our nervous system and activate that relaxation response and do those things that are very easily in our locus of control for burnout. But we also have to look at this bigger problem of employers taking advantage of employees being dependent on them and this culture of, you know, all or nothing, you're in or you're out. And that's come together in a couple different workshops that I do. Um, one of them, I call it the, the five keys to break through burnout. I just wanted to give it like some easy to memorize steps <laughs> on how to start breaking away from that mindset and from that culture. And I also wanted to do it as this in-person seminar. It's been primarily at co-working spaces around New York City, but because of that isolation that we can feel too. And again, to reinforce this idea that it's not a personal failure, it's a problem that's bigger than all of us, let's come together and talk about it. Um, And it's also, you know, I, I think it's important that we talk about setting boundaries. I don't know about you, but nobody ever sat me down and said, here's how you set a healthy boundary and determine how much energy you can give to someone or something. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's not, we don't get that. We don't get that. (laughs) I was teaching that to people before I even was doing it for myself because we do learn that in Chinese medicine, that is something that we learn because we learn how to balance our energy with the energy of the patient in the room. If we have good teachers, I happen to be blessed with good teachers. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching people that and yet still I was doing it poorly for many years. Yeah. It's fine. It's easier said than done. All this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, And same. Yeah. I, here I was teaching restorative yoga, but (laughs) I was teaching five classes a day and I'd come home (laughs) and and I'd zone out on Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. After restorative yoga. Uh huh. Yep. (laughs) Lots of giving lots of, um, and, and forgetting that I had to do that for myself too. And that's where that passion comes in again, or at least it did for me is it was something I cared about so much that I was so eager to share it and so eager to help others that I forgot to help myself. And I'd be saying, you know, you can't give from an empty cup to everyone I was teaching. And then I was like pretty thirsty. And then you were <laughs> filling your cup with tequila at the end of the day, just to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's where journaling came in and journaling has been a big breakthrough for me. Um, also learning that I'm, I'm an introvert. 
um, introversion always like in our culture, I feel like can be seen as like a dirty word and, Oh, you don't want to be an introvert, but I love processing and taking my time and, um, not feeling rushed into things. I love taking that internal time to process. So discovering journaling and that I could kind of have this dialogue with myself, like I would with, you know, first it started off like, well, what if I were a yoga student, what would I say to me? And then beginning to have this dialogue and relationship with myself was another thing that you're never sat down and taught how to do, but having the space to kind of write to myself and create a little bit of distance between my thoughts and like my being and my life, just creating that space really helped me start to say like, oh, I'm not taking very good care of Melissa right now. What could I do for Melissa? Not to sound, you know, like I'm having an out-of-body experience but I think you get what I mean. I do. Well, and in all the Eastern philosophies that's, you know, referred to as becoming the observer and you can do it through journaling. You can do it through dance. You can do it through meditation. You can do it through yoga. It's, but it is, it is exactly what you said is creating that distance between my experience and myself so that I can look at it and choose to react to it in the way that suits me best instead of constantly being set off and reacting without any thought or yeah. choice, and which is something that you, you um, recently had an Instagram post and you wrote, you know, everything changes when you realize you're the author of your story. And you talked about a quote that you heard on um, Orange is the New Black. And the quote was, you've got to stop being such a manatee floating around waiting for life to happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. That called me out. Right. <laughs> But you can't, you, you can't avoid that if you don't have that distance. If, you're not, if you don't have the ability to sometimes look at your life as if it were a movie, if you don't have the ability to take a step back and pay attention to yourself, you just assume that life is happening to you all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just the manatee. You're just floating around waiting for the next wave. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's easy for us to fall into that too. Um, I, I keep talking about age. Maybe this is my, my 30th birthday coming up and I'm, I'm just thinking a lot about it. Yeah. But, um, you know, I feel like too, we spend the first, um, you know, 16, 18 years of our life in a school setting where we don't really have any choice. We get up, we're told that we have to go to school, right? We have to be there for a certain amount of hours a day and then we get to go home. Um, and then we're moving into work or moving into college. And they're both just another setting where we're told you have to show up. You have to do these things for these hours. And then whatever's left over is for you in your life. So our first couple of decades there are spent in this pattern of like, just show up, get through as much as you can. And then whatever's left is what's for you instead of, oh, this is your one and only precious life. You know, you take some take some control over it. <laughs> Try to navigate yeah. the boat and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how are people supposed to know? Mm -hmm. It takes a realization like the ones that, you know, the one that you had and the ones that people have had other people that I've talked to on the podcast to be like, oh, I can do something here. I really love this story. Uh, I'm I'm never 100% confident how to say his name. Uh, Eckhart Tolle? Mm Mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle? Yeah. Um, And The Power of Now, and he talks about how he had his breakthrough moment of, I can no longer live with myself. And he goes, wait a minute, who is the I? Who is the self? 
And like, as a grammar nerd, I was like, yes, I love this conversation. <laughs> but also, <laughs> that's that um, distinction between the thinker behind the thoughts. Right. That there's, um, yeah, that, that separation of becoming the observer and being like, I can have some agency in the course of my own life. I don't just have to be washed around by the waves all the time. I can start to stand up and make some decisions and have some agency over what's going on. And you found this through journaling. Is there a particular style of journaling that you prefer or do you just open a book and start writing? You know, I don't know if there's a particular style. I tried bullet journaling for a bit. That was actually very helpful when I was in that um, tired but wired stage with bullet journaling because that's asking you to just kind of make a list, get it out as quick as you can. Um, what helped me more so with developing that relationship with myself was kind of that third person point of view of, all right, I'm so good at giving advice to others. I'm so good at being a restorative yoga teacher to other tired people. What happened if I put myself in the role of being my own yoga teacher or friend giving myself advice? So do you know, is that a particular journaling style or? Um, no, I don't know if that, I mean, yes, it's your particular journaling style. I'm going to give you credit for it. How about that? Okay, the boo method. The boo, it's the boo method. <laughs> I think you just, did you move your um, computer or your head? Oh, I did. I'm sorry. That's all right. Your voice got quieter for a second there. I felt like you were far away. Is this better? This is kind of back to where it was. Yes. Okay. Yes, that is better. Yeah, no, let's call it the boo method. I mean, but yeah, putting yourself in the position, that's a question that I've asked myself, like, what would I tell my patients? And this especially happened after my patients were making a joke when I was still in Prague, that they were, a lot of them knew each other. And when they were having difficult situations, their like keyword was, well, what would Katie say? And they would say that to one another you know, like, what would Katie say about this? And I started thinking, oh my God, I must give out some pretty good advice if I have groups of 12 people asking each other, like, what they think I would say about it. Meanwhile, here I am, you know, not paying attention to the things I'm telling other people. And so, yeah, that makes total sense to me, but I don't, I didn't really ever stop and write it down. It's a good idea. What's the, the boo journaling method? I'm into it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, and you know, I just realized, um, we keep talking about Instagram, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep rolling with it. Yeah, that's fine. I love Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I, um, oh man, I had such a love hate relationship with it because it really gives you that highlight reel and that FOMO and that, um, to me, it could actually be a really big burnout trigger where I'm like, I'm not working hard enough. Yeah. That's why I write things like do not pull, do not, you know, cover your pile of poop in silver lining on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We got to fill our feeds with some like that. <laughs> some real talk. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and I, I started working with you know what uh, I met someone who's also a coach, and she was talking about how we just have to tell our stories authentically. Like people would rather see unedited version of us than this like perfectly curated version because it's so much more relatable. Yeah. And oh goodness, I'm sorry, I lost my original train of thought. Oh, that's all right. Probably because I interrupted you about Instagram. No, that's it. I'll take a silver lining poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I okay. I remember. And my anxiety over Instagram being this FOMO-inducing experience was I started working with 
someone who I met who's a coach, um, Jen Marilla, and she talks about how using social media as just like you're talking with a friend is just a healthier way to engage with it. And then I started just kind of sharing when I was journaling each morning to both kind of hold myself accountable and also be like, it's okay. You can, you can make the five minutes in the morning. I'm going to show you how we can do it together. Not to put any pressure, but just to be like, this is the realness of me getting up and journaling. Um, And so recently I posted on Instagram, how has it been 12 days since I've journaled? Hello again. (laughs) It's been a bit. (laughs) Because none of this is a linear process, like breaking through burnout. It's not like, you know, a trophy that you achieve and then that's it. You did it. It's, it's uh, recursive. You know, you're always coming back to these lessons with, you know, truly whether it's burnout or another thing that you're working through, um, your yoga practice or your their practices. That's why they're called practices, right? Yes. That's my favorite saying. Yes. <laughs> that's why we call it a practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Melissa, if you, you have your five keys to break through burnout, could you give us the top two, at least as a little sort of sneak peek into your work? as we round up the show. Absolutely. I'm going to start with key five, which is find your community um, because that's what we're doing right now. (laughs) Because it's not easy to break through these cultural norms that encourage us to burn ourselves out and work ourselves into the ground. It's, yeah, you're completely going against the culture and our conditioning and what we're brought up and encouraged to do. So, I find it really important to find other people who also see this bigger picture, who are also working on doing their internal work and also changing their external conditions as much as they can, and trying to find other people who want to break through this in a productive way. Because it's also, you know, the happy hour uh, complaint fest is also very helpful, but you also want to find a group of people who are really trying to make those external and environmental changes that are going to support them. Right. Whether that's leaving the job or leaving a friendship or another relationship in their life, it kind of gives you the example and, and shows you the way that it's possible that you can start to change again, either within yourself or your conditions around you. Yeah, love that one. That's something that has come up in almost every talk. Yeah, find your community is a big one. So one one more key. Sure, I think another favorite key for me <laughs> is that we have to take care of our biological needs. I just, that, that saying, you know, you only get one body really hit me hard. And if I'm not giving myself enough water, enough sleep, enough food for the biological systems of my body to function, then how am I going to be able to do the higher level work of being my best self intellectually, having the emotional resiliency to upkeep my relationships despite any stress that I might just happen to be encountering working in New York City startups. Yeah. <laughs> we have to somehow, we tend to pretend that we're not human and that we don't have to eat three meals a day or more and that we don't have to get a certain amount of sleep. For whatever reason, our biological needs seem to be the first ones that get cut out of our schedule. Do you mean I can't have pan au chocolat for dinner every day? Please do. <laughs> Please do, but don't but don't skip your lunch break. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think those are two really, really important, important things. So number one, you know, well, or number five on your list, but the first one you mentioned here is find your community, find your people. This is super, super, super important. Every single person that I've brought on the podcast has said that this has been a crucial part of them leaving their burnout behind and maintaining their lives after burnout. Because when they find themselves straying, they have people that they can lean on, learn from, etc. Huge. And take care of your biological needs. Make sure you're drinking enough water. This is for me, you know, you find out you're burnt out, go to your doctor, get your blood work done. Maybe it's vitamin D deficiency. Like let's not go crazy into mindset talk before we know that your basic biological needs are being met. If you're telling me you're burnt out and you're eating, like you said, one meal a day, only drinking coffee and only sleeping three and a half hours a night because you, you, someone told you it was you know, power nap, we're not going to save you from burnout by changing your mindset. We need to take care of your body. Then Absolutely. we can work out the rest. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Melissa, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You have been fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I so appreciate the work that you and everybody that you've been interviewing is doing to start bringing this to light. So thanks to all you anonymous voices too that I can't see. (laughs) (laughs) We all say thank you also and you're welcome. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please do take the time to share it with the people in your life who you know could benefit from hearing its message. The only way we break through these patterns is by talking about them out loud over and over until they break down. So the only thing you have to do is click a share button. We're here on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, and we're ready for your ears. Until next time.